I want to do sell guidebooks and stuff like that. And I don't think people realize enough it's it's not that easy. It's kind of the myth of passive revenue. Let's build on it. Let's get better if it goes poorly. I just think too often people worry about too much of the wrong stuff. And a lot of times people are always just kind of racing to the bottom to try and make it cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. Whereas if it was me, I'd make it more and more expensive. It's a hundred times easier than ever to get started, I think, now. But I think it's a hundred times harder than ever. I want the time. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of She's Taking Over and we have an exciting guest on the podcast today, the one and the only Coach Mark Carroll. Mark, thank you so much for joining us and well, for joining me and for finally coming on the podcast. How are you today? I'm um, good, thank you. <laughs> Um, I'm really excited to have you here because especially for our clients listening, something that we are going to talk to you guys about today is all things pricing and pricing your service as an online coach. Now, a lot of our clients come to us and they are really fearful around how to increase their pricing, their questions of how much should they be charging for training and nutrition or training or nutrition. And more often than not, a lot of clients, once they do start getting those runs on the board and picking up clients and validating their offer, they ex- they experience that time pinch of being busy with 30 clients. And I think the first thing that a lot of people want to do is then cut their prices. They, they want to join this race to the bottom by having a low ticket offer, whether it's challenges or guides. And you are really the king of um, challenges and guides. And I think a lot of people really look up to you what advice would you have for trainers considering going lower with their price, going low ticket? As in going lower from changing their service, so like online coaching to more challenges or going lower in their price from I'm charging $100 and I'm struggling to get clients, I'm going to charge $80. Let's go with option A. So they then they then consider, look, I think it's undeniable that a lot of people in the online space have a goal to create more passive revenue. As a service provider, if you want to scale your business, you understand that in order to do that, you need to trade less time for money, which generally means more clients at a lower end of the market or lower ticket item. But That then means the creation of new products and services like challenges or guides. And generally what I feel people don't really understand is the sheer volume that is required to do something like that. So let's talk to the trainers who want to have those guides and challenges in the market. Sure. Um, Firstly, there's something else I was talking about to someone the other day. I think it was maybe Sheridan or Glenn or something like that. And it's, it's kind of the myth of passive revenue and a lot of people I think just think, you know, oh, here's this product and you just sell it and then you just get money in every day and, you know, money comes in at night and cool. You you know, you just you just sell this product and you're not selling time for money and, you know, that's, you know, doing PT, you work with someone for an hour and all that stuff. But I think a lot of people have this kind of warped perception of passive revenue and, you know, I know Jenna has been working for a long time on her portal for her big appetite and stuff like that and, you know, things like that. And that will run for, you know, alleviate time for Jenna. And, you know, I've got certain things I work on and 
But I think people don't realize is that how long it takes to work on these things. I think often people go, oh, I'm going to do this challenge or something like that. But to actually make it a, a, a good product, you're probably working six months on it, you know, five, six months on it in advance. And then once you're at, it's out as well, then you're working on it to obviously market it and sell it and improve the copy and advertise it. But you're constantly working on it, you know. So I think um a lot of the times so people get a kind of misunderstanding of passive revenue. Passive revenue is, is probably going to be like, let's say, let's say you buy a house, right? You buy a house and you rent it out and someone, um, you have no mortgage and then someone rents it out and you do nothing and money comes in each month from the rent. You know, that's really truly passive revenue. Or if you have like an ETF in, index fund or something like that, where you get paid from owning that stock or share. But with business with products and stuff like that, just because it might be a subscription base or just because it's a product that you don't have to sell necessarily time for money with a client doesn't mean you're not working on a whole lot, if not more. And I think a lot of the times people think young trainers, and I know Jenna gets it a lot from people who, who sign up with her and go, oh, I want to do this and I want to do these challenges and stuff like that is it doesn't mean you're going to be making more money. You know, it doesn't mean you often might be doing a lot more work with almost zero guarantee. You're actually even going to make any money. Whereas when you're doing say PT one-on-one with someone, you know, that if they're, you've got a client, they're going to be paying you. Whereas you could make a challenge and yeah, you could get two, 3000 signups, but you could also get no signups and you, and that you spent, you know, three, four months working. So I, I just think a lot of the times in the fitness industry, <laughs> we often think the grass is always greener and whatever you're doing, it seems like this easier option and, you know, both sides kind of have, have their place. But I just, you know, I talk to Jenna a lot about, you know, her clientele who come onto her and often the first things they want to do when they want to transition to online, it's not often, Hey, I just want to be a really great online coach and charge a premium rate. It's often, I want to do challenges. I want to do sell guidebooks and stuff like that. And, and, I don't think people realize enough it's it's not that easy and it's often then you do do months of work and spend a lot of money doing it, putting it out there and then no one buys it. So then you're actually not making any money from all your time. Whereas when you're working one-on-one with a client, if they work, if they can turn up to the gym or they do a check-in with you, obviously you're getting paid. So I know that's just something that's been on my mind. Again, um, just the, the myth of passive revenue um, in a way, like it's not, as clear cut and simple, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And this is something that I try and educate our clients on. And that is that you amortize the cost of the activity over the period of time that you can generate that revenue back. Now, obviously going online generally can be more scalable than face-to-face because you should be able to service even say four clients in the amount of time that you could service one in a face-to-face manner. But by creating these challenges or guidebooks or low ticket offers, you actually front load a lot of the work. So therefore it is still active income. And my response or my argument is always improve your, your service offering so that you can maintain a premium in the market so that you can charge a premium. And then as you um, refine and enhance that service and update the automations, the income that you earn can become more passive, but it's truly not passive because it is active income because you worked for it. And I really love the way that you talk about this because I know firsthand that a lot of trainers in this industry really do look up to you. And I don't know if it's 
I, I definitely can see can see why, but there's an element of fame given the success that you've had. And then also you have worked with over 120,000 people around the world with your methods. And I think a lot of trainers who have a passion for this industry would want to do the same thing. So the other thing that people don't really see is how hard you do work. Yes, you can have these challenges and maybe you do five challenges a year, but you do do a lot of work for them. So Let's talk about the kind of work that's involved for the business model that you have, because it's definitely not just set and forget. You don't just create an eight-week program in an hour and then put it out there. You manage a team, you manage a community, you manage your audience, your content, and the the delivery of this, this program, the sales period that leads up to it, plus the duration in which it is run for demands a lot of work and, and it costs a lot to run a business like this as well. And I think that's what people don't understand. So um, if people think you have a passive business, let's shed some light in terms of the activity that you actually put in for the business model that you have. Yeah. So obviously it kind of depends on the level of depth you're kind of going and the frequency you're doing stuff for myself. I do five challenges a year and then so five challenges a year involve obviously each challenge has different marketing, different look to it, different feel, which means different copy, um, different copy along the landing page, new landing page, different graphics, um, different messaging and different training programs every single time, different Facebook community, different obviously community then of management of that community, um, then things like email marketing email marketing, you know, one to two emails a, um, a day, almost a daily email for about 28, 27, 28 days um, with obviously different copy, different messaging each day for each challenge. Then you got ads, ads management, um, then directive of those ads and where you're going, who you're trying to target. And then obviously daily posting, talking about that um, and posting across, you know, different platforms and talking about it across um, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, podcast, podcast ads, you name it. So there's a lot of different um, kind of things to it. And it's not just, hey, here's a program. And then you're also trying to talk to each of your audience. Because so if I have a lot of people who do my challenges, I'm then therefore having to talk to different people quite differently. So you got males, you got females, you got females who are new to the gym, you got females who are advanced, you got females who have done a program before um, the last challenge and you're trying to get them to come back so you can keep helping them. But you get also people who haven't done a challenge in six months or two years. And so a lot of the things I do, things like around email marketing, you're talking to that many different people. There's about, you know, 10, 12 different sequences you can be doing. And I think that's where, you know, a lot of the stuff people don't quite realize the, the complexity of, you know, running a, a real business, I guess, around that stuff. It's not just, hey, here's a product, buy it. And, and again, you know, it's things like, you know, split testing your pages, your landing pages, see how they're performing, how which page is kind of performing better, which copies performing better, which headlines performing better. And you're constantly testing, um, retesting and all these things as well. Um, that again, a lot of, you know, a lot of probably trainers aren't too familiar with around those topics. Yeah, definitely. And I think that a lot of trainers don't realize the, the sheer investment required to sustain that kind of business model, because in order to generate 
2,000 sign-ups or 3,000 sign-ups or even 1,000 sign-ups for people listening to this who think they want to get started, we know that if a website converts at an average of 1%, then you're going to be needing at least 10,000 people coming through the, um, no, even more, 100,000 people coming through to the website, right? And that then has to come from Instagram, which converts even less. And the amount of work that you have to put into an Instagram audience is something that is also overlooked. And there's so many costs involved with um, content creation and managing this team and then also managing yourself. So I hope that just in the, the short amount of time that people have been listening, they understand the amount of work, the, the, the volume of work and the variety of the skill sets that's required to run a challenge-based model. And I think as well as a coach, when you are a busy face-to-face coach, let's say you have 75 clients or you've made the jump to hire some trainers that work with you and you're able to facilitate 200 or 300 clients online, that is still a hugely different conversion rate uh, or, or audience size needed to convert at that at rate to, the, to then justify the challenge model, right? So what would you say... Um, in your business progression, in your career journey, where would you say that you started to sort of validate the model that you have now? Like, obviously, it happens slowly over time. How did you go from busy face-to-face, booked-out trainer, in-demand to the model that you're essentially facilitating now? What, what did it start with? For me, it was just putting an original ebook guidebook out, Um almost five years ago this December now, um, my first program. And that was that was very much just because of, yeah, as, you know, I was busy and I was doing a course and around the world lecturing and stuff like that. And so then a lot of the stuff was around, you know, I was lecturing about my transformation. So I wanted, I then had a course around that. Um, so then we thought, hey, why don't we create a cheap program that I can obviously try to help a lot of people around the world use my methods at a fraction of the cost of, you know, working with me privately. And that's where, you know, it took off and sold a lot of programs and stuff like that. And so I was like, oh, cool. Okay. There is a bit of interest. And so a lot of it's kind of been about putting something out there, seeing there's an interest. And once, once there is somewhat of an interest, then building on that, it's kind of, trying at a, at a at a low level where it's not too expensive you know um try learn see how it goes if it if it goes well fantastic let's build on it let's get better if it goes poorly let's um let's do it in a way that it's not too detrimental to the bank account where you're not going to go broke from trying something so it's kind of starting small testing see how it goes and then building on it and kind of where i'm at now it's kind of yeah it's just been building off the last few years each year it's kind of learning, refining, getting better, um, learning from things that didn't go so well. You know, it's a lot of experience whilst kind of trying to stay stay up to date with, you know, what's kind of going on in the industry and because it moves so quickly these days. And the hard thing is with being a business which is primarily over social media is it moves so quickly and, you know, every time you feel like you're on top of something, something changes, you know, and and obviously these days, you know, I got in well before, you know, COVID and stuff like that. And then these days, pretty much everyone's just an online coach. And, you know, I was just talking to Lauren about it is how, 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 you know, the, the world is very much a copycat kind of world, you know, so people see that you're doing well, then what do they do? 
let's, oh, he's doing that. So let's try to do that, you know? And so then you get a lot of copying of kind of what your staff and, you know, trying to have people, you know, really copy your formula, how you do stuff. And so it's always combating that and, you know, trying to be unique and trying to have your own unique kind of um, selling proposition and stuff like that. So yeah, it's very much for me has always been try, learn, improve or change and things like that and just kind of going with um with kind of the responses i get from things Mm, it's really interesting that you say that and that is true i think it was albert einstein who says there's no such thing as a unique idea just inspired thoughts and even if you look at the recent success of threads which really was a ripoff of twitter we can see even at the top level of business really um, there is still that copycat effect happening. And you said something else which I want to touch on, which is knowing when to sort of stick with something. And um, you validated a concept over time. You you put it out there, see what sticks, as you say, but that's really validation. And that allows you to further refine and enhance your service offering before you significantly invest into it. So um, the art of gem pop transformations. That was a course built off your transformations. And that was validated by the fact that it was sold out essentially around the world, which then became an online course, which then became a guidebook. So over time, we'd also gained enough evidence before investing or committing in, into a certain product. And um, I think that's something that a lot of trainers lack in the industry. They have ideas based off what market leaders are doing but they don't have the insight into the real data that those market leaders actually have. So I get a lot of trainers or leads coming to me and they say, so-and-so looks like they're killing it. I need to do what they're doing. But I'm like, how do you actually know? Um, and generally, if they actually are killing it at that level, there's been a lot of back work that you don't see. Like there's, there's no such thing as an overnight success. I think people think you might have just launched that guidebook in December and had this overnight success and it's not the case. You had been validating that exact method or that that process over a period of time. And I guess my question for you is for a coach who has validated an offer, right? Let's say they coach uh, the bikini body. They're working with girls who want to step on stage and they're inspired by your journey. What would be the process in which you would validate that concept before you scale it? I mean, you did a lot of... Um, we were constantly surveying your market, constantly listening to feedback and and getting um, epic results from women who were stepping on stage at that point in time, whether they were one-on-one clients of yours or through the program. But what are the steps that you took to really validate your offerings when you were launching online? For the most part, it's, it sounds pretty simple, but, you know, is it selling? Are we making a profit? You know, like it, it, Obviously, being in business, you know, you, you're putting something out there, looking at how much it costs you, the time and effort, and are you seeing a, an adequate return on that investment? It's pretty simple. For me, it's kind of always a matter of, all right, how, how long will this take? How much will it cost me to produce? And then putting out and then seeing the response. And then obviously, that's kind of why, you know, I have, I put out Bikini Body, but then it led to part two, part three part four subscription and stuff like that. Why? Because the response was so strong. Um, and that's why, you know, I keep building on them and glute coach and obviously why I'm at the moment selling my, I think 17th challenge. It's not done just because of 
hey, this is this is um you know a fun to put out. It's done because there's a demand for it, and so that's why I think the first thing you can often want to do is it's just test and try and learn and. You know, Jenna was there when I put out Gen Pop um, transformations, and that compared to you know what I put out now is just you know a one out of ten in in quality and stuff like that. Even though I was good at the time, but you learn so much. You know, it's like oh cool. Well, it's it's one of those things, and when you especially starting out on working on your products and stuff like that and putting stuff out. You just want to get something out so you can start selling and see if there's a response and it might not be perfect right away, but that's where you can also A, see if people want to buy it and then B, see what people like and more importantly, what they don't like. So then you can correct that. But if you spend an extra year working on something and working on something and spend all this time and money into it and then you finally get it out there and you think it's immaculate, but then no one cares, no one buys it or you've spent so much time and energy on this kind of certain features. And then when people get it, they don't really care for that feature. And, you know, you, you could have learned that a year ago. And so that's why I think it's also really important to try, get something out there, you know, and that's why, you know, my first program, I think I was selling for $47, you know, now my programs are $129. And so I wasn't trying to sell at a, at a price point where I'm going to be rich, you know, it was selling at a price point where it was enough where people would value it to, you know, spend their money on. Um, but it was enough that also a lot of people would want to try it. So then I could learn, learn what people liked, what they didn't like, what, you know, and it was, it, and it's not even just a matter of learning from a, it wasn't so much the training programs point, you know, that's my bread and butter. It was the big thing was, Hey, customer service. We need, you know, there was such a demand. We need a customer service team for that. You know, we need um, better editing for this. We need better, you know, graphics, all, like all these little things you don't think about. And you only kind of think about them after things come out and people tell you, tell you it. And, you know, so you only, yeah. So that's a big part of, I think, business starting out as trainer is trying stuff and then getting feedback. And, you know, some of the feedback's not going to be the best. And that can often be disheartening, but that disheartening feedback can also be allow, allow you to learn and get better as well. Yeah, that's so powerful because that quality that you think that you need to wait for before you launch can actually so, slow you down from learning real-time feedback. And your perception of what you think people want is never going to be as accurate as the data of what the people want that's coming from your clients. And I think people really have this idea in their head that they have to wait until their finished product is ready, but really it's progress over perfection. And like you just said, your first version is a tenth of the quality of what it is now. So if you had waited that long, you would have missed the valuable market feedback that we could then act on in real time to improve the service in a way that you could never think about from the very beginning. And I find it really interesting because um, I was one of your one-on-one -on -one clients for many, many years. And as I know so many are, oh, please, um, the way in which that you would program for me as a private one-on-one -on -one client, I would get an Excel spreadsheet, right? And that still works. That's how you still do it. And on the flip side, you've got um, apps and guidebooks and all the varying sort of modes of delivery that you do have, but you can still generate a really epic high class result, high quality result um, 
with it with the back of a spreadsheet. So I guess my next question for you is that quality and the the changes and the variations in your um in your program delivery and in your offering, what do you feel is as a one-on-one coach delivering a result for a one-on-one client, what do you think is most necessary? Because you could do apps, guidebooks, spreadsheets, white label apps, but you've also just mentioned um, the importance of customer service and client experience. So for a one-on-one coach that's charging, you know, market right rate or whatever it could be, 120 bucks a week right now, what are the sort of fundamentals that you would say they need to get right in order to really be able to grow their business? Honestly, like if you just actually were a good coach, that's going to help a lot, you know? So the thing that hurts my soul so much these days is how much both trainers, but also clients worry about the dumbest shit. Like, like, you know, like needing a fancy app, like, for being coached by a client and stuff like, or by a coach and stuff like that. And if you're picking a coach over their app and you're, you know, after um, help and stuff like that, I think you're just kind of missing the boat of kind of what matters. Like I'd be, I think people look to so many of these things that don't really matter too much. Just like a coach, like if you're devoting too much time just to having your stuff look nice initially without actually just being a really, really good coach and having the ability to get great results. I think you're going to go about it the wrong way. It's kind of like, you know, trying to start a business and just not really knowing what your business is and just focusing on your business cards. You know, it's, it's kind of like the, you know, the lowest hanging fruit, you know, like, Hey, if I want to lose weight, what's the key? All right. Create a calorie deficit. Let's do that. And then start worrying about, you know, macros and meal timing and supplements and stuff like that. And I just think too often, with online coaching, especially that people worry about too much of the wrong stuff. And, you know, I think a lot of businesses would be a lot better if their content they put out was really, was quality that helped people. And, you know, a lot of the times, a lot of the times people, you know, want their content to look beautiful and pretty and good editing and stuff like that. And it doesn't lead to necessarily more sales or better results and stuff like that than just putting out more frequent content that might not look as look as nice but it's still high quality of value um and that actually helps people and that's where again like i'll have people message me like i want to lose weight i want to do all this stuff but what's your can you please show me kind of what your app looks like you know i've heard your program's amazing and all my friends by needle let's see what the app looks like i'm like is that really what you what you need do you need to really is is a is that the limiting factor for you getting results or deciding on, Hey, this coach I know helps thousands of people and gets these amazing results, but I'm going to decide whether to use him or not over the look of an app. And I just feel like people, you know, look about the same wrong things, you know, and my app, you know, is state of the art, you know, it's iOS, you know, million dollar app, you know, and so it's the top of the top. And it's something that I never really talk about at all market at all, you know, cause to me, it's just, you know, we, I spent a fortune on it and I guarantee anyone who's used my app and I see it in, you know, I see it in competitors, you know, Facebook groups, people saying like my app's the best to use out there in the world or over all these other big ones. And, but I never really market. I never talk about that because to me, it still just doesn't matter to me that much. I just want to be like, no, his program's the best. His, his education is the best. And most of all, his programs help me get the best results. And I just feel like, too often if the marketing is just about you know that 
I know. I, it, I guess it just kind of frustrates me. No, I really love that you say that. We preach that to all of our clients at Big Appetite that you are focused on selling the results because the features and benefits are so indifferent these days. I always say as an online coach or as a coach, you more or less sell the same thing, training, nutrition, mindset, app access and all the features and benefits of those apps generally are the same when they're white labeled. And so in order to really differentiate yourself, you have to be able to sell the results. And, you know, we get clients, they launch and I see that they really have bought into that concept. They're focused on their key messaging and then they kind of leave us and go away. And over time, I see them selling the same shit they were always selling, like four weekly programs, calories or macros. And you actually lose yourself by being able to differentiate yourself on what your key result is and the offering that you have for your ideal target audience. And now you are essentially only going to appeal to clients who only want shiny things, which means that you're going to have to continue to reduce your price or compete on price and features and benefits because that is what you're leading with in your messaging. And we can see it really strongly in your business. You attacked gem pop transformations and that was what you got. And that was what you sold. You sold the result of fat loss. And then you leveraged those results to provide undeniable proof of concept to a new market. And you tapped into an adjacent market by tapping into bikini body, building the bikini body. And then that's what you did. And you did that again. And you, that's how you've been able to saturate the market. So really, it's, it is an important focus on the result and the quality of the result. Yeah, but like... <laughs> I often think back, um, I think you were there when I released the app and we did a sale and the first day I released the app was, I think about two years ago, yeah, July, two years ago. And that first day was like the biggest day I've ever had in sales in that week and stuff. And just by going, Hey, we have an app. It's just funny that it just led to, you know, astronomical amount of, of sales and stuff like that. And nothing had changed it was just the programs which i had been selling for a long time were just now the exact same content the exact same education the exact same programs were now just on an app and it just led to just you know um these huge huge sales biggest biggest days ever of my business just from transition so i get why obviously people trainers you know talk about it and stuff like that but when you actually look deeper at it, what, like what's there, the content and stuff like that back then, like nothing changed. Um, but again, that kind of then says to me, that's just, again, like what are people focusing on and stuff like that? And from a client standpoint, you know, are they focusing on the right things to, for someone to really help them? Um, and I think, yeah, it's just sometimes I think people get a little bit caught up in, in things that might not matter as much as, as, as other things. Yeah, definitely. But you also see this if we were to look at the, the car market, right? The result is getting from A to B. A bike could get you from A to B. It might not be as nice, might not be as, as fast, but then, okay, there's a Toyota or a Holden or a Honda can get you from A to B. And then all of a sudden there's a Ferrari and people still want the Ferrari, right? And at the end of the day, they're selling the same result, but the experience in one is, is totally different. And the app allowed you to really deliver a better user experience and it also I think really showed your community that we were listening to them because they were asking for the app access and that was also a journey that we progressed towards because we had validated the app offering before we even 
released it. We, we were able to generate or build a successful business with a guidebook business and that those clients who were really wanting the result that we were selling stayed with us, even though that might have been a clunkier user experience, but then they um, validated the app offering and we were able to learn from them to really determine what actually goes in the app or what, what sort of content or delivery of content they wanted to see as well. So um, I think it's still true to selling the result, but also you don't, you don't have to launch with the end in mind straight away and you can validate for trainers listening to this, you can validate your offering and you can get epic results to then reinvest into your business to build with it over time as well. Yeah. And it took us two and a half years to, you know, launch the app and stuff as well, you know, so it wasn't like, Hey, let's just wait till, till that's there, you know? So it's like, it wasn't, let's build this crazy fancy thing. Instead it was, all right, let's help people. Let's add value to people. Let's show people that my stuff works at a really high level. And then by doing that for a couple of years, then when you had that shinier object to go with it, then that's what allowed things to go really well. But it wasn't starting with the shiny object. It was starting with the kind of the bread and butter. Yeah. I think you've really outlined um, the importance of the journey in business. And I'm really grateful that people can hear this because I know so many people look up to, as I said earlier, but. Um, I don't think what they realize is the decade of face-to-face -face experience, the park trainer that was doing um, boxing sessions in, in the park and then obviously touring with seminars, all the ways that you can progress to the passive version of your business or more passive ver version of your business that you have now exists in your history. Like I said, from face-to-face -to, -face to, to um, education to online into the app model that you have now. Talk to us a little bit more about the skill set that that's needed. So I love the way that you always say, just get epic results. Like if you are a coach, focus on being a really freaking good coach. We all know, I believe, um, about your mentoring journey. You invested so heavily in mentoring. You've spent time with some of the greatest mentors of our time. In terms of your business skill set, what was what skills were you learning and developing from the time that you started. As soon as you had more time in your business, you reinvested that time into yourself. And I saw this firsthand. I could see that all of a sudden when you were out of the gym floor or off the gym floor, you were learning, you were reading, you were listening to podcasts and books and watching YouTube and investing into your education as a business owner. So what were your sources of information when you started learning in business? Honestly, I just read books like... A, because they're super cheap, and B, it's also really easy to, you know, learn from other people who are quite smart in the industry and, you know, they give recommendations. You know, people are pretty pretty forthcoming with their book recommendations because obviously it doesn't really impact them, you know, people. So people are pretty, yeah, pretty forthcoming with sharing, you know, things that have added value to them and stuff like that. So for me, it's just kind of reading and and – and a lot of it's just kind of experience with it, you know, it, it kind of works hand in hand and, you know, sometimes reading some books that were kind of recommended and stuff like that at the time, a couple of years ago, I didn't probably find as much value in them because I wasn't there yet knowledge-based with my business. You know, you can, you can learn something, it could, you can read something that's super valuable, but you don't actually have the, the, the experience yet to really kind of process it and understand it so now i often go back and look at old books and and things like that and you know this day and age there's so much quality stuff out there 
um, you can learn and learn really cheaply and then go apply. And a, a large part of it is really just learning, trying things, applying things, seeing how it goes. Well, that didn't work. Going back to the drawing board and stuff like that, you know, so large majority of things, unfortunately you do try to learn and apply. Don't always, you know, carry over. And that's, that's the hardest thing probably with kind of what I do is that it is a really unique kind of, it is a unique kind of business, you know, like there's not too much history of, of, you know, social media fitness businesses, obviously, because it's a very new thing. Social media is a very new thing selling, you know, more fitness stuff online. So it, it, it's, it's kind of a lot of the learning I've done is kind of trying to take over more old school approaches to new school approaches and stuff like that. Um, and try to somewhat fit a square into a circle, you know, cause the messaging and, you know, the old, old school marketing, you know, writing copy on mailbox letters and stuff like that and sell, sell, sending out physical program or, or products and stuff like that, it, or even, you know, a lot of the marketing of f fitness was for gyms and stuff in your community. So doing what I do now, it's a, it's been very much a, a trial and error learning learning on, on, on the job. And that's the, probably the hard thing is that now, obviously, say obviously working with someone, Jenna, she, she's had a lot of experience, but you know, I've been doing this for five years and five years, you know, what we know now, like, you know, you go on social media and then you get all these people going, you know, they're literally TikTok or whatever. is just tips to grow your social media. Like there wasn't that in five years ago, you know, it wasn't that there wasn't telling you what, how to, you know, do a caption or how to do a hook for your content and how to do lighting and editing. And there was none of that. Like, so it's just been, it's a very different world now. And uh, that's why I think, it's a good and bad thing. It's really more easy than it. It's a hundred times easier than ever to get started. I think now, but I think it's a hundred times harder than ever to actually kind of make a dent and get your name out there. Cause it's so saturated because there is so much information out there. Um, so, you know, with, with more information and more, more free information, the entry point keeps getting lower and lower and lower. Um, so that's a positive. But then it's also obviously more and more competition of people learning how to do things more effectively and not having to say, take a few years of just learning through trial and error themselves. Yeah, I love that. In business, I liken it to the calorie deficit. You know, the principle of fat loss is a calorie deficit and the strategies and tactics that you can use to achieve that are so vast, whether it's a keto diet or fasting or whatever it is, right? And do they work? Yes. Are they optimal to, to be like to be decided? Right. Um, are they sustainable? No. And with business and with marketing, with sales, the the principle is, is human behavior principles. It's getting people to know you and getting people to trust you. Right. So getting people to like you and getting people to pay you. And that comes down to uh, ease of messaging, clarity of messaging and that direct response copywriting or, or messaging that is your um, your product packaging as a personal brand. And I think there's so much education or, or information and tips and so many people in the business world now teaching you how to run a business, but really also all these strategies and tactics, these content making tools and tips and tricks are like the tail wagging the dog because first you need to know who you're helping, what problem you're solving and how to communicate to that audience so that they feel seen by you and uh, like they can relate or resonate with your messaging. And I think that um, that is 
the calorie deficit. There's only one way to do it in business. It's, it's persuasion. And that is sales. It is getting people to pay you essentially, which validates your offering, allows you to reinvest in business. And there's so many different things that you can learn, trial and test. But I also feel that there's a lot of people who change direction really quickly before they can actually see if one thing is working. And as a coach, you wouldn't change um, the calories or the program of your clients in the first couple of weeks. And in the scheme of things in business, I think a lot of people have a launch or launch a product or create a product and then they go to make changes based on the lack of feedback but really they haven't um, successfully communicated their message to the right audience or reached the right audience and then they're trying to make changes again so it is an overcomplicated or quite complex field essentially business as such but really if you look at success leaving clues and the way that you've done it is know your audience whether it's gem pop bikini body the male method solve a problem, which is get them epic results. It's not even how you do it that matters. Mark doesn't market his app or wasn't marketing the exact features and benefits of the program and inclusions, um, but he was selling the results and then um, leveraging those those results to, to grow the business. Yeah. I think though, I'd say that with the way the world is these days, if you try something, you know, it's not working pretty early, you can stop it, but it's a lot easier to stop it quickly if you haven't spent too much on it. So that's why again, testing and testing. So kind of have a, have an idea where you want to go. Like, all right, I want to be doing nutrition coaching and stuff like that, but test things and test them cheaply. And so you can learn, but it's, it's not necessarily blowing up what you're doing. It's kind of, all right, well, this didn't work. Now let's pivot to maybe a slightly different direction. And often it just kind of takes things like that to change. And, you know, like I remember my second program I ever put out was called the exit strategy. And it was a follow up to gen pop and it was about reverse dieting and for, and it was a fantastic program and it sold, it sold, you know, thousands and thousands of pro programs of it. But initially when I put it out, and it was called the exit strategy. People were like, what is that? They didn't understand. And the reverse dieting was a topic that was, the name was really trending. And after about two months, I realized that all the time I had to explain what it was. And, and just by, you know, realizing that I really missed the boat of just the naming it. And then as soon as I changed the name to the art of reverse dieting from the exit strategy and just said what it was, all of a sudden sales just picked up dramatically because the product wasn't, was the product was great people wanted the product. It was just named poorly so that people didn't get clarity of message. And so just kind of things like that. So I could have been like, oh, I need to get rid of the programs to fail. But instead of getting rid of it, it was pivoting and thinking, well, what I'm selling is beneficial. I know people are talking about it and I want it, but just that the wording of, of the program was not great. And just by then pivoting to, to a degree by changing the name and the messaging, all of a sudden the sales picked up dramatically and so that's where you kind of you know try stuff and then you don't completely get rid of it it's how can i make changes to um, improve it yeah you've got to let the data drive you i did a similar thing it was the first time that i released your game plan and it was your game plan in business it was essentially to help you move ahead in business addressing core um, elements of, of finding out who your ideal market is and solving a problem and what should you do and how should you start and how should you get your message out there. 
And the message I had come up with was your game plan, essentially like your plan to creating, you know, your ideal business offer. And it didn't sell. And at the time I didn't, I made the mistake of not really correctly knowing my audience. My audience was fitness enthusiasts and fitness coaches because of my, um, my exposure in that market as a bodybuilder. And at the time I knew that product was a great product. It was almost like the, the first version of me doing a big brain dump of how to do what I do. And I renamed it to the PT game plan. And as soon as I did that, I think I sold 50 overnight and I woke up the next morning and I was like checking Stripe on my phone. And I'm like, all I did was change the front cover, you know? And then obviously over time I went through and I added more. Photo. <laughs> no, the peach um, I, added, I added more specific examples, but essentially it just comes down to learning your messaging and Again, the key lesson is to anybody who wants to grow online, you've got to validate your offer. You've got to learn from your market and let the data drive you to make decisions in business. So, Mark, that has been a really great episode. Thank you so much for your time. I do have another couple of questions to ask you. We can make these just quick, short fire questions. And I am making them up on the spot, but Number one is what is your advice to trainers of today that are delivering one-on-one coaching? In the gym, online? In the gym or online. I reckon that's actually a really good spot to be. You know, I think the industry goes in waves and, you know, I was talking to, I think we were talking about the other day maybe. Um, You know, during COVID, obviously a lot of people went, to you know the cheap program challenge kind of guidebook route and stuff like that and then you know a lot of trainers freaked out and they lost a lot of business and stuff like that but then post covid people came back to the gyms and you know they enjoyed working with people again and that camaraderie and stuff like that and so i think there's always a market for online it's just the big thing is it's kind of the way i would kind of look at it you know these days is try and i don't think online coaches that really differentiate their you know their product enough and who they're talking to you know if you're selling something online like a challenge or a guidebook people go really hard with their marketing and you know their their messaging and their website and stuff like that but online a lot of people just go hey i've got online coaching work with me it's like well who are you trying to work with um how does it work and you know a lot of times people are always just kind of racing to the bottom to try and make it cheaper and cheaper and cheaper whereas if it was me i'd make it more and more expensive um you know if you're doing truly online because it's such a you know, it's it's such a market where you can pr- bring so much value to people, and in order to do the best job possible, you want to be not so busy that you can't work with. You don't want to work with too many people. So by actually charging a bit more, you don't need so many clients, but then you can do a, a really really great job and you know, kind of bespoke coaching and a truly premium service. So I think there's a big market for um, private one on one, but I'd make it as kind of premium as possible. That's why someone like my brother Glenn at Atlas Performance. Um, you know, does an amazing job of coaching, you know, it's truly elite personalized coaching. And, you know, so they go above and beyond that he charges more, but he also gives 10 times more, you know, what value. So that's what kind of what I'd be doing if I was kind of running an online private online coaching is really, really make it premium, really quality check-ins, really quality initial consult and yeah, not be taking on endless clients, but doing just an amazing job with those people. I love that. Really, really good advice for everyone working um, to deliver results to the people that they care about as a trainer. And my next question is, 
what is your book recommendation? If you had to give one book recommendation for our listeners today, what is it? Um, a book I'm pretty sure I gave Jenna and she's talked about a lot. Um, she probably hasn't read it. Um, uh-huh. There's a book called The Gap and the Gain, and I've spoken Great. about Great. it. Great oh, she, she liked the pictures. <laughs> Um, that's an awesome book, The Gap and the Gain, and the same authors. Um, I forget their author. Um, they got two other books. Um, Dan Sullivan. Yeah. Um, he's got two other books. Ten X is easier than Two X, and Who Not How. So those three books, if you're a business entrepreneur, I couldn't recommend highly enough. Fantastic reads, and you know, really good for kind of like your mental health around business as well. And not that I, I should probably be taking on a lot more of the advice in those books, and I'll probably feel less terrible a bit more. But ten out of ten books, I couldn't recommend enough. Yeah, I really love the gap in the game. Thank you so much for spending that. I've I've read it. It's a great book. I've actually given it to a few other people, and they've read it. Read it too. Hey, give me five things you learnt. Um, there's gap a game and there's mentality. a gap. You are in the gap. <laughs> no, gap and game mentality. No, I really like that book. I think that book, I shared it with Jade. I shared it with a couple of my friends. I've actually put it in our learning list for our clients because you can get that for free, by the way. Just go to bigappetite.com and you can get the full learning list. But that book really that book, Action. Remember that book you sent me, Action? You said oh, oh, is a good okay, book. Okay, so- Mark and I had words because I've been sending him books recently and he was talking to me about this one book and I said, oh, Mark, I actually haven't haven't read that book. I just thought you would like it. And he was so offended because he was telling me that every book that he sends me, he he thinks I would benefit from or he's thought of me when he, when he sends why, why it. Do you think I'd bene- why do you think I, 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 I say you'd benefit from it? I don't because know. I read it, I read it first. <laughs> Well, I just see them and I think you need some Gen- more. Jenna, 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 Jenna sees books that she's interested in, then sends me. So I read it. Then I summarize it for her. Then she's like, oh, cool. And then tells her, email, tells her, her community about her three favorite things she learned from a book after she called me and asked that, Mark, what's in this book? Every book in the learning list I've read. But yes, it is just, we're read the cover. <laughs> we are just sharing knowledge here. So guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you learned something today. Please do share this on your story if you listen to it and tag Mark and tag guys so that we can follow you along. And also please write a review. Reviews from you help me to know um, more about the kind of content and the kind of guests that you want to have on the show. So thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time.